0: An Iranian proxy attack that killed three U.S. troops in Jordan over the weekend puts the Arab Kingdom in the spotlight of regional tensions. A former U.S. Army attache to Jordan tells us why the kingdom is being cautious in
1: response. It very definitely does not want a new front or to aggravate any relationship with Iran.
0: Iranian President Abraham Raisi makes his first visit to Turkey since taking office. We ask an analyst in Ankara whether the two regional powers were able to keep their long-running tensions in check. And Iran's suicide rate is surging. A US-based rights activist gives us her take on the cause.
2: The country is really covered by this heavy layer of hopelessness and misery.
0: From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Iran. Good morning, I'm Michael Lippin in Washington. The United States has taken a step closer to retaliating against Iranian proxies whom it blames for Sunday's drone strike that killed three American soldiers at a base in Northeast Jordan. They were the first U.S. troops killed in the region since October, when Iran-backed militias in Iraq and Syria began frequent drone and missile strikes on U.S. bases in solidarity with another Iranian proxy, Hamas, which launched a terror attack on Israel that month. Taking questions from reporters on Tuesday, President Joe Biden answered yes when asked if he decided how to respond to the attack. And had this warning for Iran.
1: I do hold respons- responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people
0: of Biden also was asked whether he is worried about fueling a regional war.
1: I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for.
0: Iranian-backed Iraqi militia group Kataib Hezbollah issued a statement on Tuesday saying it was suspending its attacks on U.S. bases. That brought a dismissive response from Pentagon spokesperson Major General Pat Ryder at a press briefing.
1: I don't think we could be any more clear uh, that we have called on the Iranian proxy groups to stop their attacks. Uh, They have not. Uh, And so uh, we will respond in a time and manner of our choosing. Uh, When I say actions speak louder than words, um, you know, there has been three attacks to my knowledge uh, since the 28th of January. Uh, And I'll just leave it there."
0: Jordan condemned Sunday's drone strike on the base near its borders with Syria and Iraq, where U.S. troops were providing security assistance. Amman also vowed to keep fighting the smuggling of drugs and weapons from Syria, where authorities and activists have reported several apparent Jordanian airstrikes on smugglers in recent weeks. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Adam Clements is a former U.S. Army attache to Jordan. I asked him by phone why the kingdom finds itself embroiled in regional tensions.
1: Sure. First, thank you very much again for having me. With respect to specifically this most recent attack on U.S. forces that were at a camp, the U.S. Central Command is called at Tower 22, This specifically is right on the Jordan-Syria-Iraq border, and I don't completely agree that this is now an attack on Jordan itself. It's just in this little sliver of portion of Jordanian territory, barely. But I will say that historically, Jordan, of course, has been part of the counter-Islamic state in Iraq and Hashem campaign, and so they very much are supportive of that. And so in this case, this particular camp was one of a series of camps in this region going north through eastern Syria that are part of this counter-ISIS campaign of enabling, equipping, training, supporting some of the counter-ISIS supporters on the ground in Syria. And so I think Jordan has wanted to separate itself from this attack. It very definitely does not want a new front or to aggravate any relationship with Iran uh, as much as it already is relative to the Syrian conflict that's in the farther western portions of the Iraq-Jordan border. And so I think that's some of the signaling that you've seen come out of Jordan, definitely the Jordanian embassy to the U.S. here in Washington to signal that, that I've seen coming from the royal court and official statements. Because Jordan definitely has its handful with a large Palestinian population with the effects from a military, diplomatic, and definitely economic impact of the Gaza conflict. And they don't want to be involved further in what's going on with uh, Iran. And And I agree with what you said as far as Captagon and the drug trade. It's not clear to me if it's exactly Iran. Of course, there could be Iran relationship, but definitely there's some other elements of the Syrian regime or some of its surrogates that have been involved in some of this drug smuggling and using Jordan as a transient point going on to the Arabian Peninsula.
0: Well, given your expertise with Jordan, why is Jordan continuing in recent weeks to engage in strikes inside Syrian territory against drug smugglers who may or may not have ties to Iran, given the overall environment of very heightened tension. I mean, doesn't Jordan realize that what it's doing in Syria could have unintended consequences?
1: I do think you're right to say that this is a very fine line that Jordan has to walk. But this drug smuggling and the increase, the volume and the sophistication of the drug smugglers, that increased long before the war in Gaza especially uh, going back at least until, say, the 2021 uh, timeframe. And so this is a new policy decision that Jordan has taken of being more active in engaging some of these smugglers inside of Syria. There has been no doubt engagement for several years now of some level of rapprochement uh, with the Syrian regime, with high-level talks and discussions with, Syrian regime officials and Jordanian officials. It's taken a very long time. And Jordan is still very, very sensitive to what it could do that would disrupt some of the security in the south of Syria. Because absolutely, if there are any more refugee flows from Syria into Jordan, that is highly consequential for their security and their economy. So Jordan, is. you're right to say that they're very cognizant of trying to walk this fine line, what's happened before and now after Gaza.
0: Well, when it comes to walking a fine line, uh, the United States, as you know, is considering how to respond to the attack on the U.S. forces at the Tower 22 site in extreme northeast Jordan. And President Biden has said there will be a response. What is your view of the most likely scenarios here?
1: Yes, this is the the question definitely in the news the last 24 to 48 hours. And I think that the volume and the sheer number of strikes have greatly increased in the last few months. And that's what the significant part is now in the change in the last two months compared to previous times, even previous years. Because This is an area where Syrian regime forces, where Iranian-backed surrogates, where Russia, where Iranian-backed Iraqi forces all operate in this area, and they don't like that the U.S. and coalition forces operate in this area. And so there's always been this constant cat-and-mouse game back and forth, testing each other that's gone on for many, many years. And just now in the most recent months, that's escalated, and unfortunately, with what happened Uh, with three U.S. service members killed and many others wounded. And so now I think that the Biden administration has to walk a fine line of not escalating the already dangerous situation in other parts of the region, such as Lebanon, what's going on in the Red Sea, and specifically target and hold responsible those that were responsible for this attack and balance that with so many other military and diplomatic uh, efforts that are going on. I really do think that right now the efforts to release the hostages, that's going to be very key and drive a lot of the Gaza situation that in turn could help or at least assist or at least shape some of the efforts and other security matters that are going on throughout the region.
0: Retired Lieutenant Colonel Adam Clements, former U.S. Army attaché to Jordan and Yemen, joining us on the line from here in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much for speaking with Flashpoint Iran.
1: Thank you again for having me.
0: Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan granted his Iranian counterpart, Abraham Raisi, a diplomatic achievement last Wednesday, welcoming Raisi to the Turkish capital, Ankara, with military honors. It was Raisi's first visit to Turkey since taking office in 2021, and came after several previously scheduled visits were postponed. At a news conference after their meeting, Erdogan said he and Raisi agreed on the importance of refraining from steps that would further threaten regional security. Omer Özgizilçik is a Turkish foreign policy analyst with the Atlantic Council. I asked him by phone whether Erdogan succeeded in keeping a lid on years of tensions with Iran.
3: So the Turkish-Iranian de-escalation mechanisms is historic. We know that Turkey and Iran haven't fought each other for more than centuries. And the oldest border in the Middle East is the Turkish-Iranian border. But that being said, doesn't mean that there are no conflicts or no escalations. And usually these escalations have a limit. They are controlled escalations. But there's one rule for the Middle East. Wherever Turkey is, Iran isn't. Wherever Iran is, Turkey isn't. And These two great regional powers, they know how to keep things calm and how to avoid direct escalation.
0: We were talking a a moment ago about the Kurdish forces in Syria, that Turkey is fighting, and we also know that Iran has been supporting its own proxies as they carry out attacks in the region. So... To some observers, it might seem that Turkey and Iran are both in their own way feeding regional tensions with their own strategies, even if they're not directly fighting each other. What is your view of that?
3: So the Iranians have a problem with the United States of America. The Iranians want the United States of America out of Syria, out of Iraq. Turkey, on the other side, doesn't have any problem with the United States of America in the region, but with the local partner of the United States, which is the YPG, the Syrian branch of the PKK, designated as a terrorist organization. So, Turkey wants the YPG out of the region. And so, therefore, when Turkey attacks the Kurdish YPG and the Iranians attack American forces, we see a clear distinction. Iranians do not target the Kurdish YPG and the turks do not target the americans which show that the iranians are a threat to the united states of america and turkey perceives a threat from the u.s partner forces in syria the syrian branch of the pkk so both actors have a different attitude and different perspective but they happen to bomb areas which are close to each other
0: what are the reasons that the leaders of turkey and iran don't want to see apparently a worsening of tensions in the region. And are those reasons similar for Turkey and Iran, or do they have different reasons for wanting to avoid escalation?
3: So I do not trust the Iranians that they don't want escalation. The current Iranian regime has an attitude that they can manage chaos, and they know how to operate in an environment of escalation with its network of Shia militias and proxy forces. But Turkey, on the other side knows how to manage order and how to create order. And this is a different perspective towards the Middle East. Turkey doesn't want escalation. Turkey wants to find solutions. And in this difference of approach, there's always a um, diplomatic side and understanding, let's de-escalate. But Turkey has always to force the Iranian side to actually de-escalate.
0: The leaders of Turkey and Iran did sign some memorandums of understanding. There were 10 agreements. The Turkish President Erdogan also spoke about opening more border crossings with Iran to boost their trade, which had come down in recent years from what it had been before. How significant do you think these agreements are for the bilateral relationship between those two sides?
3: So turkish iranian relations, they have been ongoing and they will go on the economic side. And the attitude is to maintain a good economic cooperation with each other in order to not have areas of conflict escalate totally. However, when it comes to the recent memorandum signed by the two leaders, we also have to understand that this comes at a time in which Turkey is trying to portray itself as the main land bridge between the east and west economically. There is the Turkish project from Azerbaijan to uh, Turkey, the the corridor from Azerbaijan to Nakhchivan. And there is the potential that if the Armenian side doesn't implement this corridor, that this corridor can go to Iran. And then there is the logistic line from China to, to the middle corridor towards Turkey. And Turkey also wants to establish a corridor from southern iraq towards turkey and then to europe and in all of these iran needs to be in good behavior and not to spoil the turkish efforts and so therefore on the economic side turkey is trying to enhance the economic relationship
0: so what do you think is going to happen with turkish iranian relations going forward this year do you think that these initiatives will actually work
3: So the Turkish-Iranian relationship will mostly be determined by the decisions made in Washington. We have recently seen uh, some news and statements which indicate that the U.S. is thinking about withdrawing from Iraq and Syria and depending on if the U.S. will withdraw or how the U.S. will withdraw and when the U.S. will withdraw, these three factors, the Turkish-Iranian relations can escalate totally. Because once the United States of America leaves Syria, Iran and Russia will put much more pressure on Turkey to withdraw also from Syria. And this will put Turkey in a difficult position between a hard place and a rock. as withdrawing from Syria would mean additional million of refugees flowing into Turkey and the Turkish army would have to step up against Iran and Russia. And therefore, there's a potential that we might see, depending on U.S. decisions, a new wave of escalation between Turkey and Iran.
0: Omer Özkozilcik, non-resident fellow for the Atlantic Council's Middle East programs, speaking to us from the Turkish capital, Ankara. Thank you for coming on to Flashpoint Iran.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Iran. I'm Michael Lippin. Iranian state news agency IRNA reported earlier this month that attempted suicides in the country rose sharply in the last Persian year that ended in March 2023. It cited an official of Iran's Suicide Prevention Society as saying there were 120,000 suicide attempts that year, a 51% increase from seven years prior. Irna said more than 6,000 of those suicide attempts resulted in death. Marjan Kapoor is the founder of the Iran-focused group Alliance for Rights of All Minorities, or ARAM. I asked her in a phone call what she thinks is behind Iran's growing suicide rate.
2: Thank you so much for having me on your show. Looking at Iran, the problems of the society are so tremendous. And when we first started to work with Aram to track the persecution and the experiences of minorities in Iran, we did not really realize the depth of tragedies that our country and our people are dealing with. And what we're noticing today is an increased rate of suicides that are taking place in Iran. Young people especially who are taking their lives for issues and problems that seem to be really solvable and preventable in most parts of the world, such as relationships, poverty, depression, lack of access to mental health, disputes, um, social problems, even addiction and other issues. They're taking away their lives because I think the country is really covered by this heavy layer of hopelessness and misery that is really affecting people, uh, not just in the minority populations, but really widespread around the country. And it is particularly tragic when you see this level of despair and hopelessness take over the young people, as young as 12 years old, 13 years old, who are taking away their lives because they cannot find another solution or resources to help them or to give them hope to live another day. Can you share with our
0: audience what kind of methods you use at ARAM to track this very disturbing trend?
2: I have to say, Michael, this is a problem that is far bigger than Aram, which tracks the experience of Iran's women, religious and ethnic minorities in the country. This is something that we see even among physicians. We have seen unprecedented reports of physicians in the country committing suicide. And yes, there are problems of burnout and lack of resources, inadequate compensation for the physicians, which we know around the world, they are well compensated and they are appreciated for their work. But not only they are suffering from lack of resources on compensation in Iran and they have to take second or third jobs, but even for those who are working, they're not able to Fulfill their duties as physicians, and you know we saw after the Zanzendegi Azadi movement that sparked after September of 2022, following the crackdown of the protesters and the blinding of the protesters and and the ruthless casualties that were taking place by you know with bullets and beatings of the protesters, doctors went to help the innocent victims to help those who were injured from these crackdowns and while they were doing that they actually got arrested they were put in solitary confinement and they were tortured while they were being detained so it is possible that one of the reasons why many of the physicians have committed suicide also in the past 12 months could be associated with their inability to do their duties as physicians
0: well, I wanted to ask you about the Iranian government itself, its state media have been reporting about the problem of suicides in the country and the rise in the number of suicides. So the government is clearly aware of the problem. Why do you think it isn't taking stronger action to mitigate this problem and the serious issues it causes for society? No, That's
2: an excellent question. So In Iran, many of the cases of suicide are linked to poverty. This has been a problem for over a decade. The correlation of poverty-related cases of suicide has been something that is known in the country. But you can see that in the past um, decade, the government has not really taken any meaningful measures to alleviate the root causes of poverty or to ameliorate the day-to-day conditions of the people, they see that there is a tremendous level of suffering taking place and they're not really taking any measures.
0: So Marjan, is this more a case of uh, the government is just insensitive to the problem or they just don't have the right answers because of corruption, incompetence and whatnot?
2: I think that there is corruption and there is insensitivity. We see people dying in Iran from a variety of causes on a regular basis, and we see very little effort on behalf of the government to eliminate the causes of death, whether it is corona-related deaths or it is the bomb that is expected to explode at the funeral of the general. And these are all preventable, or it is possible to at least curb the casualties that could happen, but they don't care about the lives of the civilians. And combined with that, there is a lack of competence in handling some of the deep social problems, like providing more mental health resources or alleviating the issues of poverty in the country. And also, most importantly, I think to address the lack of hopelessness in the country, the government could mitigate that by providing some level of freedom and autonomy to the civilians. However, with increased pressures and the repression that they're imposing on the civilians, this possibility and this opportunity to blow off some steam is also taken away from people. We see that rather than improving the schools with Adding number of psychologists and deploying more trained mental health professionals, they are taking away trained educators and replacing the administrators with thousands of clergy members with no training whatsoever in these areas to come and make decisions about academic and emotional future of students of the next generation. And I think. That unless there are more systematic measures and solutions taking place in the country, unfortunately, we're going to see more of such tragedies unfold.
0: Omarjan well, Kapor, founder and director of the group Alliance for the Rights of All Minorities and a non resident scholar at the Middle East Institute, on the line from New York. Great to have you on Flashpoint Iran.
2: Thank you for having me. Pleasure talking to you.
0: That's it for the show. I'm Michael Lippin. Thanks for joining us, and please come back next week for another Flashpoint Iran.